Digital Marketer. This week, it's Sarah Lee. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today we're moving into the world of construction. I sat down with Sarah Lee, the Director of Marketing at Pipe, a construction software solution. And not only did we discover we're maybe 85% the same person, we also got to discuss how she's finding ways to solve the classic B2B marketing challenge. In other words, how to catch the attention of incredibly busy people who need approval from incredibly busy decision makers in order to buy from you. If that sounds like something you faced or you just want to play along with our game of college major bingo, this one's for you. Enjoy. Sarah, hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation. To start, can you just tell me like how you became a marketer, how you started your love for marketing, where that all began? Completely by accident. Um, (laughs) I went to school for digital design. I wanted to do web design and web programming. Hmm. And I went to Virginia Tech and started out in the engineering department. And I got my first mock class schedule before you know school had even started. And I was looking at it. I was like, man, there's a, a lot of math classes on here. <laughs> I'm terrible at math. And this is a terrible idea. I'm going to flunk out of school. And so I went to go talk to an advisor and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And they're like, oh, you thought that this was in computer science. And I was like, well, well yeah, it's, you know, like, HTML is coding, right? And they're like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not real coding. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. They're like, okay, you, need, you should join the art department. So that wow. was a complete departure of where I thought it was going to be. So mm-hmm. sought that out. Um, can't do math and I can't draw. And so that didn't pan out. The only thing I had been doing at school was I have always wanted to be bilingual. So I had been taking Spanish. The we are time. the same person. Oh my <laughs> God, Sarah. I majored in Spanish. Me too. And had to take remedial math. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're kindred spirits. Here. Yeah. So I majored in Spanish language and literature and I got a minor in, you know, landscape architecture because I thought yeah. like, what can you do with a Spanish major besides be a teacher? I'm not sure that I'm really cut out for that. I don't think I have enough patience. So when I graduated, I graduated into the recession and because I was bilingual, all of these apartment communities in Northern Virginia were like, please come work here. Hmm. And, you know, and there were no jobs, like there was nothing. Now all of a sudden, like people were clamoring to hire me because I could speak to all of their residents mm-hmm. and still communicate really well in written English, which I think is a challenge sometimes. And so that's what I did. I sold apartments. So got really into sales. I love people. I love the chameleon aspect of sales where you have to not change who you are, but change how you present yourself to a lot of different people Mm -hmm. um, to build the best relationship. And all that is, is self-marketing. And so kind of got really kind of knee deep in the multifamily space, which is apartments. Um, and over the course of several years, was working for developers and management companies and kind of came up to the corporate level and really like dove into that marketing aspect. So I did a lot of sales training. You'll find a lot of apartment communities when they're looking for leasing consultants, they don't call them leasing consultants anymore. They call them marketing associates hmm. because a lot of what you're doing is marketing the property. So I think it kind of went hand in hand there. And so I worked um, in multifamily for about a decade, but I worked in IT through college and I've always had a passion for technology. I've always loved wow. technology. And so it was always kind of the back of the mind plan to move out of multifamily 
and into a technology company, but it's really hard to get noticed by technology companies with the degree that I had. So once I built like a really strong reputation in multifamily, this opportunity opened up. And because I had been working for a developer who developed multifamily communities, I had this really nice parallel experience set for Pipe. So Pipe offers technology services and software for construction companies, typically general contractors. And we kind of automate a bunch of really tedious processes that happen around the beginning of a project and towards the end of a construction project. And I was really intimately familiar with the end of a construction project because people would hand me brand new apartment buildings and say, hey, can you go sell this empty building? And so being familiar with the kind of aches and pains of that handoff process and kind of the delays that can come along with a construction project, which are rampant in the industry because of the really disjointed way that information I want to say is shared, but really it's not shared. And that's part of the problem was kind of how Pipe was born. And it kind of ended up being a really nice fit for me. So we've been growing like weeds over here, building a lot of different products. We have four products now that we offer and um, we have a lot of fun over here. We go really fast. So it's never boring. That's for sure. That's awesome. I love just how much everything had to kind of be just right for this role to kind of work out. It's like you had, number one, the interest in design elements and like user experience and stuff like that. And then the language that eventually led you to being part of like construction, development, that kind of stuff. So I love it. Also, that is where our paths diverged because I did become a Spanish teacher. I love that. I This is kind of my uh, retirement plan, honestly. Yeah. Because I did tutor all through school and I do like teaching, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I could manage a classroom all the time. I feel like I would lose my temper and that's not a good look. I mean, there's a reason I work at Digital Marketer now. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But love children, love individuals learning, love language, love conjugation. Oh, my gosh. Um, we can talk later Only about person that. <laughs> in the world that has ever said that sentence. It's like my favorite thing. <laughs> it's just so fun. Well, let's talk about pipe a little more. So one construction is, especially construction software and solutions, is a very specific niche. What are some of the struggles you find in marketing to such a niche? So we have to be very specific in the way we market. So our audience is not small, which I'm thankful for that because that would make it even more challenging. But it is a very specific profile of person that could buy or use the software. And those are two different people, by the way, which is challenging a lot. The folks that buy the software are not the users, Mm. typically. So that's definitely a challenge. And then the other thing that this industry as a whole has been super neglected by technology in general. So there's been kind of this boom of construction technology that has come around. And so they're kind of being inundated on all sides by all this technology. And not only that is the folks that do make up the bulk of like our transactional sale base, our audience, their whole job is to haggle and negotiate all day long because what they do is they're a general contractor and they have to line up all the subcontractors to work on a giant project. So daily they are, negotiating pricing with the subcontractors, making sure that those contracts fit, making sure that scope and everything is on point so that the project's going to be on time and and coming under budget or on budget. And so there we have one more, the, here's us. They're like, hey, we'd like some of your money too. And we're going to give you this thing that's not a physical thing. And you're going to have to learn how to use it. And you're going to have to teach other people how to use it. Do you want to buy it? And people are like, 
I don't even have time to think, let alone right. think about your thing. And so kind of crafting our messaging to break the first barrier of time, like we're going to save you a ton of time. And that's like something that a lot of software, obviously they say they offer all the time, mm-hmm. save you a ton of time. So that's kind of a base offering, right? But then being able to have those higher level conversations about how this software is going to help mitigate risk on their projects. It's going to help improve communication between them and their subcontractors. It's going to be able for them to have more meaningful conversations with their clients and really be able to provide a high quality end product for them. It's definitely been challenging. And the other thing is that because they haggle all day long, when we do talk to them, we have to be very careful to meet them where they are. And that can be a bunch of different places throughout the day. Right. So that can mean that a piece of content that we put out as a blog becomes an ebook hmm. or it becomes a short video or it becomes a webinar so that they can take in all of this content in whatever format fits their current workload because there is no one size fits all. Um, the other thing is that GCs vary widely from a GC that does a very specific type of building all the way to like huge companies that will build anything and everything. And they do hundreds of projects a year to some that maybe they only do a handful of projects a year, but these projects are huge. And so all these companies are, are very different. Right. So that end user versus the person buying, how do those messages have to differ? And how do you make sure that you're selling the same thing to the same person? So Luckily, our product is the same thing. So we are selling it. Um, We do a top-down approach and we do a bottom-up approach. So we do have some product users that are able to make purchases, but they typically are on a transactional basis. And our end goal is really to form enterprise partnerships with our clients because that's when they get the most value out of the product. And it's when we're able to offer the best type of development feedback. So when you partner with someone, you know, project after project, they have a much better idea of how we can improve and streamline the product versus someone that uses it once every, you know, year. Um, Because a lot of these end users, you know, they're on a project for a year or two years. So they might come into our platform and then not see us again, even if they love it, not see us again for another 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we're talking to the higher level decision makers that are going to partner with us on an enterprise level, they're overseeing many projects. And so they may not actually log into the software on a regular basis to to really put it through its paces like the end users do, but they're definitely taking advantage of the dashboard and summarization of the data that we collect. So the messaging really focuses on the same benefits, but really kind of prioritized in a different way. So like I said, when you're talking to someone who is really pressed for time, they have not only a project schedule, but a client that's breathing down their neck in terms of timelines and things like that. And then they're also having to negotiate all the time with these subcontractors. Usually the big winner we have with them is that this is going to save you time. So just to give you the 10 second kind of overview of our flagship product is I hesitate to call it flagship. So one of our main products is called auto specs. And there's a huge document at the beginning of a construction project that can be thousands of pages long that general contractors have to read through and pull out specific bits of information. And all of this information are contract requirements that they don't do it, they don't get paid. And so they manually go through page by page or using control F and searching through the text to find the stuff that they need. And it's super tedious. Mm. So like on an average size project, this is not like a huge project, average size project, they'll probably spend about 40 straight man hours doing this process. 
our software can do that in two and a half minutes. Holy crap. And that's what they say on the demo. Like you show them the platform and you say like, okay, well, you know, I just uploaded your specification document. I'm going to just hit scan here. Here's all your contract requirements, like all of them. And it's done, you know, in the less time it takes you to get a cup of coffee. And so now they have all of the information they could possibly need and they get to kind of pare it down if they want to. Because again, like I said, all of these teams work a little bit differently. All the projects are kind of nuanced differently. Mm -hmm. So that time savings is like our pound at home. That's our in with 90% of our end users. Mm -hmm. But kind of the bigger thing that most people see the real value in, in terms of what's saving you money, because like a lot of folks are like, well, I already pay someone to do this. You know, what, what am I going to do with them? There's always something for them to do first off. But the second thing is that, like I said, if they don't do these things, they don't get paid. The profit margins for construction companies, for general contractors, especially are, are fairly narrow. So if you only have a profit margin of 10% and you lose 3% off of some paperwork, essentially, that's huge. And so that's how we talk to, we still cover those benefits with end users because they want to make sure that they're like crossing every T and dotting every I, because obviously that looks good on them. That's how they get their bonus. But when we talk to those higher level decision makers that are going to be our enterprise partners, those folks are the ones that we mentioned those things first. Hmm. So really just catering that messaging to the person you're talking to. And it, it's the same benefits. It's just reordering them or, or speaking about them in a different way that really speaks to the pain points of that particular role. And so that's where we've done a ton of custom content around those different roles. So we use the word rehash a lot in my department because we take a piece of content or an idea and then we build several pieces of content in different formats Um, And then we usually make it again. So we make it for the end users and then we make it for the decision makers. Mm. And that really helps us give a clear picture to an entire organization of how this product and this partnership will really benefit them. Mm. I make it sound a lot more complicated. Like we have to do a lot of heavy selling to kind of sell. And we're lucky in that we don't a lot of the times, but in the times that we do, it's good to have all of this content to do that. And then we reuse all of that content to pull people down the funnel. So we again, we rehash these same ideas, same content to cast that wide net because it's for a very specific audience. We know that they're going to resonate with it because it's worked with customers that were already midway down the funnel, it's down to close. And so we kind of rework that same content to be a kind of a net that we can cast to bring in new opportunities. Hmm. I also imagine that there are two things kind of compounding to make it really successful, which is like, one, you have the fact that not a lot of construction software exists and that the technology is really behind in this industry, right? And then the second one is that a lot of the people who are the higher ups have been in the position of the people who are the end users and they haven't seen this before and can probably put themselves in those shoes and understand how impactful it will be as opposed to like an industry that's constantly being innovated, like productivity tools, right? For like Martech. Yeah, Martech. <laughs> Our industry, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's so many options and they've all been iterated on over and over again. And almost to the point of like, do we really need this? Let's be honest. And then you have this industry where it's like, oh my gosh, this is like an oasis of <laughs> usability, you know? Mm-hmm. I imagine that makes a big impact. Yeah. And I think there's definitely like, I kind of like using the word, it's almost like a renaissance of technology for construction. So they, Mm. you know, there was probably at some point no technology, right? When people were building and then there was some technology and now people are really doing specific point solutions for the construction industry, which has not happened before in the past. And so there's some really high quality 
construction technology out there that is super mature and affordable and has a ton of benefit. But that culture of having a tech stack, I think that's very new for the Mm. construction industry. Whereas in marketing, you know, you're like, that's a common question. You're building a department or you're building up a new company or even, you know, just evaluating year after year. Like, what's the stack look like? What can we cut? What can we combine? Anything like that. Whereas in construction technologies, like they maybe have one piece of software, like we have Excel and we have our project management software and that's what we have. And so that concept of evaluating additional technology because they got their project management software years ago and they've all been using it. That's what everybody knows. It's not a regular exercise for them to research, evaluate, and implement new technology. So it's not that the technology is behind the times or that construction is, I guess it was neglected for a while. I mean, I think we're probably in the fourth or fifth year of them having a lot of choices. Yeah. But that culture has to be built up around it to understand that, you know, this is what we're looking for. This is how we're going to evaluate something like we hear a lot that, oh, I, w- I want to test this somehow. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's your pilot program look like for technology or for other solutions? And they're like, oh, we don't have one. And so that's another way that we've found to provide a lot of value for our potential clients is we have that material put together because we know what our other clients have done and we're bringing best practices from other industries because a lot of us are not from construction. And so we're able to kind of package that as additional content for further down the funnel when we're talking about like potentially doing larger partnerships say like, Hey, these are the best practices from other industries. Here's how we've used those practices on some of your bigger competitors. And then here's how we distilled it for construction companies in general. And this is how you can utilize it. And we think that this would be really helpful to you as you're moving forward, whether you choose to go with our solution or not, you can have it. That's so different. I've never seen like how to pilot. Yeah. And I think it's really important because here's one of the things is like when I first came into pipe, one of the big things that I wanted to accomplish really quickly, which we did do was kind of building our brand guidelines and voice. And one of the big tenants that was in that brand guideline was transparency. And I had already known, like I had done a lot of due diligence in the industry. And then I sat on a couple of demos before I joined the company. I could see that this was a high quality product. People were amazed by what it could do. And I knew that the quality was there. It's a quality product. So I said, I want to make sure that our voice continues to be transparent and that we let the quality of our product speak for itself because we know competitors will come. When we first started, there was no one competing with us in the space. Mm -hmm. But we are years ahead of anyone who come out of the woodwork. And so we know we have the best product. We will continue to strive to keep our product the best product. And then that's how we'll market. So it will allow people to do a true evaluation of other products because we're not worried about it. And Hmm. if they do do an evaluation of our competitors, something like that, then we know that they're not choosing that other product solely on on quality or output. Sometimes it's really just, we can use MarTech as an example. You might want Hmm. Marketo because it's like the biggest thing, Mm -hmm. but maybe you just need to do like, you know, free version of HubSpot because that's where you're at right now. Right. And that doesn't mean that maybe the premium version of HubSpot might be for you later. I don't know. But um, right now that's, that's where they are. And so that's where we feel like all of the opportunities that we've had, I, there are very few clients where I've felt that we have actually lost in terms of us not providing something that they need. It's more, right. hey, this is where you are right now. And that's not something that we provide. You're looking for a different tool. Yeah. So it's really just about where they're at. And I think just giving them the opportunity to understand how to use it, but not even how to use it, how to test it is really cool. Well, and I think that 
we do that kind of like intuitively in a lot of other departments where you've been tracking this stuff a lot longer, but it's kind of like if you had never used Gmail before, right? Like everybody's had email, right? And maybe email in the past was like this, but you know how um, a lot of people use Gmail, they have like those tabs where it like sorts like your promotional emails and your actual email and stuff like that. Like once you use it that way, like that's how you use your email. And like going back to the fact where you didn't have all that visibility into like your different messages that you get seems crazy to go backwards. But Mm -hmm. right now, I think in the construction industry, they have email, they have it. But now they're going to like get really granular with their data with these additional point solutions. And so coming to that new version, it might be a little bit of growing pains, kind of like, oh, well, how does this work into the way I do things now? Does it change the way I do things now? Maybe. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But then once they're in it, going back is like, well, that can't, it can't go back. And that's what progress is. It's really like, okay, take the plunge. And like, once you're in, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I see why. Yeah. I can't go back now. Yeah. Well, so that's kind of more of like a bottom of funnel decision-making technique. And let's kind of float up to the top. Tell me a little bit about what those awareness strategies look like. Like what platforms are you on? Are you investing mainly in like PPC and blog content or are you running ads anywhere on like social? We do pretty much everything. Oh, really? Yeah, we do. We do that in a very focused way. We do targeted advertising on LinkedIn and Facebook, where we really use those audience filters to make sure that we're getting the most bang for our buck there. But as a B2B provider, you know, folks aren't necessarily shopping for work when they're they're moving around on social. LinkedIn is way more successful for us than obviously any of the other Mm. platforms um, because people are sort of in that mindset. But what we've found is the most successful is giving stuff away. Again, so building content, whether that's an ebook or a blog post or a webinar, all of the digital assets or events that we host are free. And we give those away and we make sure that they're very high level. And when I say high level, not like they're only for like executives, but high level in that they're information that covers those kind of different companies' profiles. Like it doesn't matter if you're building you know, data centers or hospitals, like this kind of information is helpful to you regardless of what you build for the most part. Hmm. And so we build content and then we disseminate that over a lot of visual avenues. And then we actually do a lot of experiential marketing as well in terms of events. So there's a pretty robust conference scene in the construction industry. So we go to a ton of shows throughout the year and um, we do secondary events at those shows, typically like happy hours or dinners where we host our clients with potential clients. And again, the conversation is typically fairly light. We're not like doing demonstrations at dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. We just do a lot of, here's the knowledge that our clients have. And here's knowledge that you have. Let's share that knowledge together. And then we mm-hmm. become a facilitator of that knowledge share. And that kind of pulls us into the circle as a trusted advisor. And then we're able to share kind of like this further down the funnel content that we create that really starts talking about our products specifically instead of just shooting the breeze about the industry. Yeah. It's so much more value-based. Do you find that hard to track, like ROI? So we actually have a really robust tech stack for a company our size and age. But we use HubSpot mainly, and they have a feature where you can track influenced marketing, which has been super helpful for us. And so obviously, we love when we can say, oh, you know, 
marketing has influenced over $700,000 of revenue in whatever period, mm-hmm. um, or not influenced, but has sourced that revenue. Right. But we take it a step further and look at that influence. So any marketing touch throughout the funnel is recorded on a person's contact record. And then if that contact is associated with an opportunity that closes, then HubSpot is able to give me revenue feedback and say like, okay, well, this particular campaign, it generated this much money on its own. Like this was a first touch source or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it also influenced this much revenue. So you are able to get a fuller picture of what that journey looks like. And that's been really helpful in deciding, you know, what to keep and what to pull back on or what to get rid of altogether. And then that allows us to do a lot of experimentation, which we do mm-hmm. pretty liberally. We try a lot of different things, a lot of different ways so that we can really see what's moving the needle and do more of that, honestly. Yeah. And we're kind of getting to the end of the hour, but before I do our last final question, I want to end cap this. I'd love to know what experiments that you've run that have been like, oh, let's get rid of that. That didn't work. (laughs) And then one that's like, holy crap, that is something we need to do all the time. So the thing that we have found does not work really at all is anything that's like super Mm time-based. So we've done a couple, like we did like a Black Friday promotion and some other like time-based promotions. Interesting. And because the nature of like construction projects, they have a very finite amount of time when they could purchase our products. Right. And like I said, they're the beginning and the end. They might be super interested, but if they don't have anywhere to apply that promotion, they're not going to take advantage of it. So that shrunk our audience so small hmm. um, that those just weren't effective. Like we got a couple of things, but the time and effort to put into it and the yield that we got back was like, okay, well, let's just, um, let's work a little bit harder on offering like our current customers, some sort of discount to like continue with us or something like that versus trying to draw new people in with lower prices. That's crazy. That must be a huge difference between B2C and like enterprise B2B. Absolutely. So for me, I think come back to multifamily that it just kind of dovetails really nicely with how we sell. So housing is kind of the same way. Like I can't sell you an apartment right now if you're in the middle of a 12 month lease. Like it's hard to get out of a contract. You can't just dip out. So having to catch people at a very precise moment in time is something that I'm used to. It's a challenge that, you know, been in that before. So we found that that wasn't really a great way to do it. And then something that has worked really, really well is partnering with other construction tech providers and then a joint client and hosting Mm. content. That's a discussion around a topic that the industry is interested in. And Again, when I say like we give something away for free or whatever, all of our content is free, but that's where we find the most value on both sides. So our clients or prospects get a lot of value out of the content that we provide, but then they also get familiarized with our brand and then they come to us as inbound versus us kind of having to track them down and really force feed our stuff to them. Yeah, that sounds hugely impactful. Man, I feel wish we had more time because I feel like there's so much about like B2B that we, we didn't get to, but... I mean, I can give you a quick soundbite on B2B. I think people get really caught up on B2B mm-hmm. and companies don't sign contracts. People do. Hmm. And so B2B is, yeah, it's a little bit different, but it's really not because you're still selling to a person. You just have to build value for that person and their company. Right. Um, so you still are going to sell in a kind of a very similar manner than you would, would to B2C environment. It's just, there's just kind of an added layer of bureaucracy. Yeah. You have to get in their head about 
what their constraints in making a decision would be. Yeah. And just, mm-hmm. I think you have to get people a little bit more fired up than you would if they were going to buy something out of their own pocket. Right. Because they have to be your advocate in some way. And they have to feel good about the fact that if they're tied to this in some way, when it goes to the implementation stage, that it's not going to fall on its face. And so that's why we found that that content in kind of the customer support realm has been so crucial for us because we want to make sure that you're successful even after you sign the contract, because if you don't take off, you're not going to tell anyone about it. You're not going to want to renew. And so we want to make sure that that takeoff is extremely successful for everyone, no matter the size or profile of your company. And so that's something that we focused a lot of energy on. Hmm. Well, Sarah, we're getting to the end. So before I ask you the final question, we ask every guest who's on the podcast for the first time, where can people find out more about you, more about Pipe? Where can they reach out? Well, it's been a blast chatting with you today. I like that we're kindred spirits. Um, (laughs) If you want to find out more about Pipe, you can definitely visit our website. We're at pipepype.io. And we have a ton of great content on our website and we'd be happy to have you. And we will also be at a number of events over the course of the year. So if you want to meet us in person, you're more than welcome to come check us out. I really recommend checking out pipeline2020.com, which is our event website for the event we're hosting in June. So if you want to meet the whole marketing team and a bunch of great folks from other departments at Pipe, that's the place to do it. Perfect. And the final question. Sarah, if you could go back in time and tell young, very bad at math, (laughs) pivoting to Spanish, Sarah, anything at all about life or business, what would you say to her? Um, There was something that I figured out probably not even that many years ago. I started telling people when I don't understand the reference they're making or the, the information that they're giving me, I saw it in some like sitcom-ish show, this like goofy girl would always go, I don't understand what that means. And so that's what I say. When someone's talking about something, I say, I don't, I don't understand what that means. Give me a little bit of reference around that. And that has allowed me to learn and grow so much more quickly than I think I thought was possible. And I think there's a fear when you're young, just starting out even in school or in the workforce that you should already know it all. And no one knows it all, even if you've been working in the same role for a hundred years. And so being able to stay curious and continue to learn, I think makes you 10 times more successful than you would be if you just stay in your lane. So that was what I would say, ask that question a lot sooner and be less afraid. Man, that's so good. That's something I needed here because (laughs) it is so easy to just be like, you know what, that's an acronym. I don't know right now, but I'll figure out the context or I'll look it up later. And you could learn so much more if you just said, hey, what is that acronym? <laughs> I haven't heard that before. And I think it opens up other la- like avenues of discussion, too, yeah. that I think people are often surprised at the things that other people don't know. And I think when you treat that as a positive way to interact with someone versus like, oh, God, I can't believe they don't know this. Mm-hmm. It opens up things for you to understand, like, how you understand something. So maybe they do know what that means, but what they think it means means something different than you do. And I think it just, it builds a better discussion, better relationship, and you can learn more about it. Yeah. Because Google can take you real far, but having a real conversation with someone is pretty fun. Yeah. You can only get so much context too from like a Google blurb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. This was super fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. And to everyone listening right now, 
means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Goodbye. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.